let's uh, take a moment in prayer, and then we will go into the message. Lord God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fullness of your word made complete in Christ Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. So we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to point us ever more towards Christ Jesus and his gospel. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to guess you're kind of like me in that as we get older, time seems to go faster, right? I mean, it's almost hard to remember from one day to another, let alone one week to another. It just like goes by so fast. As a matter of fact, do you remember, what was last Sunday? Easter, yeah! But, but it's like, it's hard to almost remember that, isn't it? I mean, for a lot of people, Easter is, uh, well, for, if you go to church, you go to church, and then there's the family gathering. I don't know what happened this year, but normally, big family gathering, and you have fun, and then you go home and sleep off all the food that you ate, and then you start the rest of the week. And it fades really fast. I mean, even faster than Christmas. I mean, at least Christmas, you put all that work into putting up the decorations. They stay for at least another week or so, right? But Easter fades really fast. But the message of Easter shouldn't fade that fast. The message of Easter and his resurrection should be an ever-present reality for us. Because it's not just last week that we proclaim it. We can say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Because you and I are actually, we are people of Jesus' resurrection. It's fundamental to our faith. Because if he did not die and rise again, our faith, as we found out last week, is in vain. But indeed, he did rise from the dead. And so as we covered last week, our faith is not in vain. We have a living faith. Does this sound familiar, by the way? If you were here last week, does that sound like part of the message? Even then, it's really, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, getting those brain cells going again. And we spent a good time on that word, remember. To remember isn't just to recall something of the past, but it is actually to bring it into the present. So the reality and the promises of the resurrection are not just of the past. They are of the present and they have a present effect for us. And not just a present effect, there is also the future promise, because Christ Jesus himself is eternal. So the promise that we have is an eternal promise. He is risen, he is risen indeed, he remains risen forever, and thus the promises we have are eternal. And each Sunday, we need to be reminded of that, don't we? We do, because we forget. Because the turn of life just has us focus on other things that it becomes so easy to forget, to put it in the back. Even the disciples needed to be reminded again and again. 
And so today, our journey that we're going to take in our text is this. We are going to see first that Jesus reassures them of the resurrection, that it actually happened. That he reminds them, calls to remembrance God's promises, and also helps them to understand the reason for the cross and the resurrection. So he first reassures them of the resurrection. We go to our text from the Gospel of Luke. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. So remember, what's the context? This takes place on Sunday. Jesus has been resurrected. He has risen from the dead. The women have seen him. They have seen the empty tomb. They go back, they run, they tell all of the disciples. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. They see it empty. They're marveling at all these things. They go back. And then now they lock themselves in the room because they were afraid that the Jews might kill them just like they killed Jesus. But they also must have been afraid because they didn't understand everything that was going on. And they thought, well, maybe it was just a spirit. Maybe it was a a ghost. We don't know. And so they had locked themselves into a room. And it would have been early evening by this time. And now Jesus comes before them. How he goes into the room doesn't say. He's just there. And he does not say, I'm real. He doesn't say, I have risen. What does he say? The first thing that he says to them, peace to you. Peace to you. Now, in those days, peace to you was a very common greeting, but this was not a common situation, nor do I think it was a common greeting. I think it was greeting to give them comfort and assurance. I think it was also a greeting that, whether they realized it or not, was to start to bring them to remembrance, right? There's that word remember again. Remembrance of what he has said before he went to the cross. See, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he says, Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither Let them be afraid. And then John chapter 16, he said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I think when he says peace to you, it has a greater context and significance to it. Because the peace that Jesus bestows on us, on them and on us, is both a proclamation and a promise. He declares to them peace. And he gives them a promise of peace. The proclamation, the promise of peace. This is a gift that he gives to all believers, all who put their faith in Christ Jesus. Because what is the peace that Jesus actually gives? Think about this. What is the peace 
that transcends all the tribulation of the world, all the circumstances in our life. It is a peace of reconciliation with God. That's the peace that he's talking about. So the proclamation that he gives very first is actually a gospel proclamation because the gospel is the good news of peace and reconciliation with God. Is it not? So wouldn't this, wouldn't this declaration, when he comes in the room and he says, peace to you, even that points to the gospel message. But they were still afraid, right? They still didn't quite understand what was going on. In fact, it says, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So this is how our Lord responds. And I'm actually going to read verse 38 through uh, 43. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet? That is, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I mean, they were afraid. They didn't comprehend exactly what was going on. So he said, see, touch, feel just like you would have to do with Thomas, right? You know, see, we always put the weight of doubt on Thomas, but the disciples needed the same assurance. And then he does something that seems so commonplace, but it's actually loving. He says, just give me something to eat. Does a ghost, does a spirit eat something right before your eyes? You see, there are a lot of people who want to discount what the disciples experienced. They want to say, well, they just had a mass hallucination. By the way, this is one of those things out there. It was just a mass hallucination. And by this way, this claim is very easy to refute. It has no legs to stand on. First of all, people don't have mass hallucinations. You have single hallucinations. But the thing about hallucinations that people don't realize is that you hallucinate about things that you already expect to be or things that you already know about. So New Testament scholar N.T. Wright explains that the Jewish belief, remember, they were Jews. The Jewish belief system did not account for a bodily resurrection. It didn't account for it of anyone until the end of the age. It goes on, he says, Jesus' death dashed all the disciples' hopes, and they were feeling lucky to have escaped with their lives. The furthest thing from their minds was that they'd see Jesus alive again and actually sit down and eat with him. So he says, touch, see, feel. Let me have some fish. Uh, I'll eat with you. You see, so sure were they then of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, that they went to their deaths without ever recanting, without ever changing their story, 
And you know that almost all the disciples, the followers, the, 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 the inner group, right? By either scripture or tradition, they were martyred for their belief in Jesus Christ. They never recanted. So sure they were of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So he gives them reassurance. And now he brings to remembrance the promises of God. So verse, verse 44, then he, said, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He does a couple things in here. The first thing he does, he brings to remembrance what he has already told them. By bringing to remembrance what he has already said, he says, this is not a new revelation. You already had this information. And what he is going to do, he is going to lay out piece by piece for them God's plan of salvation fulfilled in him that it didn't just happen by an accident. You see, Christianity is not an accidental faith. It is based on the plan of God throughout time. It's all there to see, if you would but look. See, a lot of people who don't believe have never looked. Jesus opened their eyes and said, Look at Scripture. So what he did, he brings to remembrance the writings of the Old Testament. He said that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he specifically delineates groups of writings from the Old Testament. He says, first of all, uh, from the law of Moses. So we would know the law of Moses as the first five books of the Old Testament. We call that the Pentateuch. Penta, pent, like Pentagon, five-sided, five. Tuk just means book or five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. Now, in the, in the Hebrew faith, right? The Jewish faith, they would say that's the Torah. The Torah simply means law. Law of Moses, first five books. So Jesus said, hey, it's the first five books. And then you also have the prophets, which would include quite a bit of the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, plus other writings, and the, then the Psalms. Now, just as people have tried to say, well, there's hallucinations, and they really didn't see what they saw. People would say the Old Testament is just a mishmash of writings from various people who had various biases and were trying to put forth political or religious doctrine. So it's just a mishmash of stuff. It's not really God's word. It's just man's writing. By the way, this type of thinking has infected seminaries for a long time now, 
and has infected a lot of churches. When I first went to seminary, I went to an ELCA seminary, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which has now gone so far off, I can no longer consider them a Christian denomination. And I say that with reason, not with spite, but just plain reason. But when I went to the seminary, I took a class on the Pentateuch, first five books, right? And one of the test questions was, how could the Pentateuch be true? Did you catch it? How could it be true? The premise wasn't that it is true. The premise was it wasn't true. But if you really had some perspectives and thoughts and maybe feelings about it, it could be true for you. Do you understand why I left the ELCA? Because it wasn't God's word. Jesus would disagree with all those people. He referred to the Old Testament as God's word. Do you remember what he said when he was tempted in the desert and he refuted the devil? He said, it is written. God has already said. So what he does, he says, did you look? Did you look at what was written about me? Because he shows them that he is found throughout all of the Old Testament. Now, since I've been here, we've been working on tying the Old Testament to the New Testament again and again and again, right? And there's been a couple of prophecies, a couple of Old Testament that I've referred to several times. And so just for some repetition, 2 Samuel, our reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, speaking of David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, his lineage, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay. Where does that show up in the New Testament? I'm going to give you a big clue. All right. What was the name of the angel that spoke to Mary before she conceived? What was the name of the angel? Gabriel. Gabriel, messenger of God, actually said to Mary the following. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's opening their minds and showing them the connection. But it is all one book. And then he gives them the reason for the cross. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. When he says, thus it is written, it's almost like a therefore. Because of everything that I've just said, because everything that I've showed you in the Old Testament about me, thus, therefore, 
It must happen. Everything that was written about him in the Old Testament points to the cross and the resurrection. I'm just going to give you a little sampling here so you too can start to make the connection between them. So what would he have pointed to? Well, he might have pointed to Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words that he said on the cross. He might have pointed to Isaiah. And we did a wonderful study in Isaiah on Good Friday. But Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And in Isaiah, it says it was the will of God to crush him, that this was the plan from the beginning. Though he was without sin, he paid the price for our sin. Points to the cross, doesn't it? But Jesus didn't just point to the cross. He says it also points to the resurrection. Psalm 16 says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Now, by the way, that's quoted in our reading from Acts. So the disciples who are now talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ say, hey, we got our minds open. I want to show you where it actually talks about Jesus in the Old Testament. It says, therefore, he says, to, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. By the way, did you catch that? It says in another psalm. So they're now using multiple scriptural references. But it says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of our God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. In essence, his body's still in the grave. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So Jesus, in opening their minds, shows them the necessity, the necessity of the cross and of the resurrection. But you know what? He doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't stop there. He says all of this happens so that repentance and forgiveness of sin can be proclaimed in Jesus' name. He says the cross happened. The resurrection happened. This must have happened so that repentance and forgiveness may be proclaimed in his name. Look, if Jesus did not die, if Jesus did not die, there would be no forgiveness of sin. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there would be no forgiveness of sin. But it says repentance and forgiveness of sin can be proclaimed in Jesus' name. So what's repentance? It's more than just regret. You know, on Ash Wednesday, we covered this a bit. Regret versus remorse. Regret is when you feel sad or bad or disappointed about something. You know, we all go through life and we all have regrets about something. But we generally don't change because we have regret. It's like, eh, that just happened. But when there's remorse, the web's, uh, online dictionary says remorse is a gnawing distress arising from a sense of guilt for past wrongs. So remorse is a deep, deep sorrow. 
one that just stops you. You know, we talk about addicts when they hit rock bottom, right? I would say that's the level of true remorse, of saying, I can't do this anymore. I got to have a new life. I, I, I just can't anymore. And so what they do, that's the repentance. They turn away from what has been destroying their lives. And they talk about starting a new life. This is what is called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world is just regret, remorse, without actually repentance. But the godly sorrow is one that says, no more, as you turn away. So how does that work, though, right? See, we believe that that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit working in somebody, because the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of sin. But not just to stop there to convict you of sin, to say you have sinned against God and him alone. And then to turn your gaze upon Christ Jesus and say in him you have forgiveness of sin. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And each one of us have that deep, deep need to be forgiven. See, most of us want to work really hard to make it up somehow. I mean, we do that with people, right? We sin against somebody and we work really hard to make it up. But rarely is that conversation of saying, I have sinned against you, will you forgive me? We don't have that in our culture and certainly don't have forgiveness in our culture right now. And there's no peace in our culture because there is no forgiveness. But in Christ Jesus, there is true forgiveness. Not just a past declaration, not just something from of old, but you are forgiven now. Completely. You are washed clean. If you but confess your sins, you're forgiven. And not just now, but the promise is eternal, isn't it? Isn't that the Easter message? See, we have talked about redemption and how that's throughout Scripture. Repentance and forgiveness is also throughout Scripture. It is central to the gospel message. And thus the promise of peace is given, the promise of forgiven, forgiveness, the promise of new life. Our whole faith, our whole life is built on, is founded on repentance and forgiveness. See, all other religions say work and gain forgiveness. Christianity is the only one that says repent 
and receive forgiveness. And that's what we have as people of the resurrection. We have forgiveness. As a matter of fact, the sacraments that we have, baptism for the remission of sin, for the forgiveness of sin, not just something of old, but now. And also we will celebrate the Lord's Supper to bring into remembrance not just something of past, but with the present effect, and the present effect is forgiveness of sin. That is our faith. And we rejoice in that Easter message. And let us always be forefront in our minds. So for you today, is the cross and resurrection a present reality in your faith and in your life? Or are you living like it just happened a long time ago? But maybe this week you should just repeat to yourself, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Get that little reminder going. Is there any sin that you need to confess? Do you believe that if you confess your sin, you are truly forgiven? This is a tough one for most folks. Most folks say, I confess my sin, but I, I don't really feel forgiven. Don't base it on your feeling. Base it on the proclamation and promise of Christ Jesus. Because if we go by our feelings, we will go astray. Base it on his word. And who in your life needs to hear the message of forgiveness through Jesus? Because he said at the very end, you are witnesses of these things. And for that, we say amen and hallelujah. Hallelujah. 